Howdy folks, welcome to the Newsprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and there are going to be spoilers about Capital Comics Book Nexus Volume 1, Issue 2 from June 1982. Now, the creatives are Mike Barron, creator and writer. Steve Rude is the artist, letterer, and colorist. Colorist for the full page of uh, Paul Gulacy art that is the cover. Paul Gulacy, cover artist, and Richard Bruning, who is the graphic designer, but apparently had much more to do with the art than just graphic designing. Um, I have found out in that this is so far the only book that Capital Comics is putting out, so they... They're able to focus all of their attention on this. Now, as I mentioned, there's a Paul Gulacy piece on the front cover that was colored by Rude. On the back cover is an oil painting in color by Mr. Rude, or a um, facsimile thereof. I don't know how you get oil painting to cover of comic book, but whatever it is, they did it. If you guys want to leave me any feedback, the episodes will be posted on the Teal Productions page on Facebook. Teal Productions, T-E-A-L on Twitter, is the fastest, probably, and, and most reliable way to get a hold of me. If you want to email, you can do that at imindieman at gmail.com. Indie is I-N-D-I-E. And you can post comments on the website, comicbooknoise.com slash T-N-C, Thomas Nuclear Clark, which is the newsprint commando. So on the first page, uh, inside front cover, we have another letter from the creators thanking some people. Um, our creative is Dennis Kitchen, who is the proprietor of Kitchen Comics. And then an announcement that Nexus Issue 3 will be the world's first, uh, I don't know, they don't say world's first, but will be a flexi comic in that it will include a bound-in flexi disc recording that will feature high-quality, in-high-quality stereo uh, background music, special effects, character dialogue, and narration. Um, apparently, the character dialogue and narration and sound effects, those aspects will be the entire story that will be in print in issue three, apparently will be in audio on that flexi disc. First page of the story art, we have the Nexus ship zooming through space. And if you guys will bear with me, a quick or hopefully quick synopsis of what happened in the first issue in text. Nexus dreams of the crimes of a mass murderer committed 20 years before. Arising, he embarks at once, tracking the killer across half the galaxy, interrupting a posh dinner party to met out justice. But as Nexus leaves the building, the maitre d' risks his life to confront him and ask, Who appointed you judge, jury, and executioner? Who made you God? I act in self-defense, is Nexus' reply. Nexus returns to his home on the lifeless moon Ilum, the most remote outpost of civilization in the galaxy. Soon after, in a small ship comes Sundra Peel, a reporter for the Baffin Information Access System, seeking answers to the enigma that is Nexus. He's about to send her away, but Sundra has cleverly managed to deplete her ship's oxygen supply and must land if she is not to die in space. A space storm prevents her from leaving at once, and during the next couple of days, she speaks to many of Ilum's inhabitants, including including Dave of Thune, Nexus' trusted advisor. 
Sundra learns that Nexus has opened Ilum to all victims of racial, religious, and political repression. The original creators of the moon's ancient complex structures remain a mystery. When the solar storm lifts, Sundra is on hand to witness the arrival of Suta LeBurk and his two henchmen Haig and Yalta. LeBurk offers Nexus a Faustian deal. If Nexus will kill the notorious Zypher Meard, one of the worst mass murderers in the galaxy, Suta will operate on Nexus to end forever the horror of his dreams. Dot, 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 dot. Nexus agree. So a few things in there I didn't necessarily put together. Dave of Thune, it says, is his trusted advisor. So that was the, the manservant that he was referring to to put his things out. Um, Sundra is from the Baffin Information Access System, which didn't occur to me. That is B-I-A-S as acronym, BIAS. Uh, so throwing a little politics in there. And I think that's all that really stuck out to me from that. We have opening the book a quote from a poem by William Blake. Each man is in his specter's power until the arrival of that hour when his humanity awake and cast his own specter into the lake. We're at the home of the, uh, what was the guy's name? Hold on, was me here? Zypher Meard. Sorry about that. Uh, we're at the, the fortress, the home planet of Zypher Meard. They're seeing Nexus's spaceship come zooming in. And how do we know? Because we can see the belly of the spaceship and there's a big N on it. So that automatically, of course, tells us that's the Nexus ship. A little bit of humor, a little bit of uh, levity lightness here. Uh, one of the people on staff for Zypher Meard gives him the probability that he, Meard, is the target. Uh, we see that Meard, in another uh, religious, nay, Christian, perhaps, reference. I'm not sure if this is a Christian one. Now, it probably would be more termed religious. Um, Zypher tells his people to activate the eschatological canon and summon the Imperial Guard. Now, the root of that is eschatology, the part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind. So, um, at least I perceive that as a uh, an, a religious gesture, uh, I believe. And as I go through this, it'll jog my memory. I believe that's the only thing that outwardly uh, jumped out at me as far as that type of reference, much like the praying on one knee before he went out on the initial mission in issue one. The next several um, panels, several pages, are the different forces of Meard attempting to stop Nexus. They send out a vast armada of ships that he doesn't even... He doesn't even look up from the newspaper he's reading. I'll get back to that here in a moment. Um, Suta LeBurk traveled with him. It was kind of interesting to me. The, the newspaper. Apparently, it's an Earth newspaper because he's talking about Montre reading about Montreal's new goalie and how terrific his college record was. Now, to me, that's really cool because I'm a huge hockey fan, so any hockey references are like a point for me. Uh, in 1981, I guess, these two guys being from Wisconsin... Um, Montreal Canadiens were uh, very visible to them, so it was an easy reference to throw out there. Those of us in the lower 48, and particularly those of us in the more lower southern uh, 15 to 20, probably would not necessarily get that, uh, particularly if you're not a hockey fan, but I thought it was cool. Cutting back to Zypher and his planet and his people, he's uh, telling his wife goodbye. The eschatological cannon has been deployed and it just it's kind of hard to describe um perhaps i'll put a, a copy of this 
picture on the post for the uh, the episode, and so people can see it. It's uh, there is a, a portion here, the eye, the the focus, where I assume the beam comes out, kind of has a a yin and yang kind of look to it. I'm not sure if that's what the design is intended to be, but that's what it strikes me as. The cannon fires, but it does nothing to the ship. Nexus. Uh, orders the ship, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure how, but the ship turns into the beam, flies into the beam, and ultimately through the cannon that is emitting the beam, destroying the cannon itself. He never looks up from reading his newspaper, uh, So, and Suta certainly isn't the one doing it, so I guess he must be doing it uh, telepathically. Zypher now greets his soldiers and sets them free, says they are no longer under his command. They can do whatever they want to do. He knows the end is coming. His soldiers uh, cheer for him outwardly, but then several of them start skulking away to try to get away all the death and destruction before it occurs. After their final goodbye, we see that Zypher's, uh, we'll say wife, commits suicide by taking a poison pill. So she kills herself, indicating that wherever they go next, they will meet. She'll be waiting. Nexus appears as Zypher is crumpled on the ground holding his dead wife. Suda is, um, yeah, here next to him looking like much the... Nexus looks like the heel, if you're familiar with wrestling. And Suda looks like the heel's manager in this panel. That's that's exactly what came to mind when I saw the way the two of them had been drawn. Uh, Zypher trays talking his way out of it. Nexus looks... I think what moves Nexus, uh, there's a couple things. Uh, he did not come by the information that this man needed killed, um, needed, I'm sorry, uh, maybe assassinated is a better word. I mean, killing is what he does. But anyway, in, in his normal method, he didn't get that message. And he sees how sad this man is over the death of his wife. So he is not unfeeling. He is not completely gone, would, would be, I guess. And so he just walks away. Leclerc tells him to kill him calls him an idiot, and Nexus says, nah, I'm out. So Leclerc runs after him, trying to convince him to kill Zypher. Ultimately, it doesn't work, so Leclerc, uh, LeBurk, excuse me, pulls a gun that he has on him and shoots Zypher, but Nexus has surrounded Zypher with a force field protecting him, and he blows up the gun in LeBurk's hand. Realizing who LeBurk is, Zypher stands up, as do many of his soldiers, and they fire on LeBurk, but he disappears in some sort of uh, teleportation. And we see that the attempt to kill him was real because the pillar that he was standing next to is disintegrated by the rays from the rifles of Zypher's men. A little banter back and forth with uh, Zypher and his men now. The Odds clerk, shall we say, comes in and, and wonders uh, what happened and, and tells Zypher that he's famous. He's the first one to ever beat the Nexus is going to kill you odds. And Zypher doesn't appreciate it and has the odds clerk killed. Uh, I guess that's, you know, humor as far as this type of storytelling goes. I mean, I didn't find it overly funny. I, I don't know. Nexus gets to his ship and sees that it's surrounded by Zypher's men who do nothing. And um, someone might need to explain this to me. I, I, I didn't necessarily understand this next part. There's a little boy here who's drawing graffiti on Nexus's ship. And Nexus standing there acting tough or because he is tough. I, I don't know. He strikes a two, um, two arm on hip pose says to the young Zypher Merdian race of, of being, care to explain why you're defacing my vehicle? And the little dude, or little girl, stands up, 
raises a fist in the air and says, Hail, Great Nexus, Slayer of Zypher Murd. You have murdered the Great Murderer. And Nexus taking off his mask and says, But I didn't kill the Zypher. Didn't kill him? Why not? And Nexus tells him, I didn't have to. Now, if you don't want to be lined up in front of a firing squad, I suggest you come with me. So I don't understand why he would be lined up in front of a firing squad. Because he was, yeah... Something something subtle must have occurred, and I'm just too dense to have picked up on it. I'm not sure. And as Nexus' ship passes overhead, the suffering thousands look to the sky and wonder why their savior has deserted them. So, uh, apparently, by, by all measures, uh, Zypher Murd did deserve to be um, dispatched, done away with, you know, however you want to put it. But, again, uh, as I said, and, and as I believe, Nexus did not get the indication to do so through the normal routes. So, he... He chose not to, I guess, because it didn't turn on his self-defense mechanism to kill Murd, I, I suppose, you know, in that he says he kills out of self-defense. So now we cut to the to uh, Sion, the capital city of ha- uh, Hakyon, Hakyon, H-A-C-Y-O-N, Hacyon, Hakyon, which is the planet that Zypher Murd is on. And we see that Suta LeBurk teleported to a council of like aliens. Of, of some nature. Aliens like Zypher Murd. And apparently, through them, LeBurk had been told slash hired to get Nexus to do away with Zypher Murd. So they're, they're competing uh, organizations here, the Zypher Murd and all of his soldiers. And these gentlemen that are in a city, uh, sitting around a table, they could be military, they could be business industrial. I mean, who knows what the, the two sides are, but they are a competing side with Murd. Now, they are moderately disappointed that LeBurk didn't have Murd ultimately killed, but LeBurk has a failsafe in that his two colleagues, Hagen Yalta, that he went to um, Ilum with are even now, as they speak, searching for the fusion plasma generator that Nexus has to have that, that powers him. And that is his explanation as to how he is sure that it exists on Island because how else could he power what he does? So over drinks, uh, indicating, you know, that his backup plan is, is going as planned. Sorry about that. Um, thus ends chapter one. Chapter two, we are on Island where Haig and, um, what was his name? Yalata. Yes, Haig and Yalata. Yalta. Hagen Yalta, excuse me, can't read my writing. Are going about organizing some members of the the, the people on Island to help and search the base there where Nexus is. They pull, uh, looks like, four or five of them aside. A couple are brothers and a couple other people. Give them the instructions. Divvy them up to look primarily on three levels, I believe. Levels three, four, and five, which we find... Or no, levels four, five, and six, which we find out here in a little bit. But first... After they're sent on their merry way, they split up, and on whatever level the two brothers are, Giz runs into them and asks them what they're doing. Realizing that they can't convince him otherwise, they attack him to keep him quiet. We see that his hand-to-hand with Dave comes in handy because he dispatches one of the brothers, but the other one comes up behind him, knocks him out, and throws him in some sort of refuse or storage bin here. Farther on down the hall, uh, some other... People who live here on Ilum are talking, and Giz crawls up to them, indicating, telling them what had happened and that they need to get word to Dave. So they do. And at this point, uh, one of the aliens, uh, what's his name? Tyrone, turns out to be his name. He bears a a very striking resemblance to the, uh, I believe he's the alien from Pop-Up. 
in Marvel Comics, the Impossible Man, right? He's a, I, I think that's right. He's a pop-up-ian because he's from the planet Pop-Up. Um, that's that's what he's drawn like, is the, the Impossible Man. So now Dave, um, trying to figure out what to do, gets some volunteers from the Faithful, uh, Nexus Faithful. And they divide up and go searching for these interlopers. But not only that, they go searching with weapons. And they are directed to use them should they need to, but ultimately bring Haig and Yalta to me, Dave tells them. So you can kill whoever you want to, but bring Yalta and Haig to me. Or I'm sorry, not whoever you want to. Kill only if necessary, but bring Haig and Yalta to me. They split up. Um, so does the uh, reporter, Sundra. She sneaks off on her own to go check out or maybe to follow one of the groups, you know, as they break into stuff that maybe she wasn't able to get into to see what there is. We catch up with one of the groups who maybe are in Nexus's quarters, it looks like, perhaps. The Tyrone-led group sets up a force field over the door so that as the bad guys see them and shoot them, they, they can't. But then they lower the shield when they enter the Nexus loyalty, lo- loyalists and shoot and kill the four guys that are here. So various... Um, Eh, rather graphic deaths occur. Dave apparently has an artificial leg that he uses to kill most of them because it has hidden weapons. One of the pirates, and I believe it's Haig, sneaks up on Sundra and mm, is saying rather nefarious male to captive female kind of thing. She ultimately finds a weapon. Actually, it's her recording device, uh, interestingly enough, and it has multiple modes. One of the modes is laser beam, and it is set at 127 point something, whatever, whatever. And she's able to shoot him and basically blows a hole through his torso with her recording device, which is pretty daggone handy. I think. So everybody gather back. They realize that two of the three groups uh, they have been able to stop, but the third group, who is Yalta, finds something and it, it um, well, it, it does something to him in the panel when he opens the door and sees it. But as they're discussing and finalizing further plans, the Nexus loyalists, lo- lo- loyalists excuse me, I did it again. Um, Nexus comes up having arrived back home with Yalta there with him, and he is a head cocked to the side drooling. So whatever he saw did something. Nexus hands him off to Dave and tells Dave to uh, do what you can to restore his mind, whereas Nexus goes to see, visit Giz, who took a beating unto death, apparently. He's, he's dying. They have funeral services for, well... Prior to that, Nexus busts, uh, sorry, the names are just escaping. Nexus busts Tyrone's chops for killing all of the people that he faced, which, of course, Nexus is a very, well, I don't say of course, but Nexus is against killing, but that's what he does. Yeah, anyways, Nexus didn't agree that that's what Tyrone did, and Brow beats him about it. They have a funeral for the members of the um, loyalists that, helped, but were killed in the attempt to um, plunder Nexus's uh, uh, personal booty. And after that, Nexus and Sundra sit down so that he can give her his origin story. End of chapter two. Chapter three. Origin story of Nexus. Another poem by Blake here starts. Nexus starts by saying his father, General Theodore Helpop. So that was indeed his father. Uh, In the picture, 
that Sundra had already seen and had done some preliminary research on this. We saw one of the screens where she had called up the information on Theodore in the first issue, but only parts of it, that he was responsible for the death of one point whatever billion people, whatever. So here we see his dad. He is leader of a, well, he's leader of the the government. He falls in love with a local girl, Theodore does. Uh, Danita is her name. So Theodore and Danita meet and court dinner, weekend, lifetime, uh, short lifetime, marriage. Now, Danita first approached Theodore to get her brother freed, who was leading a band of rebels against Theodore or Theodore's people's rule. So she is a known sympathizer for an imprisoned rebel. Theodore becomes enamored with her, decides to free her brother, and that starts the whirlwind courtship that culminates in a marriage by her brother, because apparently he is a priest, the priest, whatever, the family priest, however it turns out. But he marries Theodore and his sister, Danita, together, even though he was just trying to overthrow Theodore's people. So she becomes pregnant, goes to, uh, they decide that they want the child blessed while it is still in womb. And in, in situ, is that that's called? Anyways, in womb. And um, instead of a blessing, her brother the priest cries out that according to Elvon, whoever Elvon is, the god, I guess, that they worship, the child is cursed. His life will be a nightmare and he will beg for release. Well, which ultimately turned out to be true. Now, is it true because of this curse or is he um, relaying something prophetic at this point? We don't know. I guess by the way it's given to us, we'll just presume that it is just a prophetic utterance. We know now that he was right. Well, of course, Theodore is not too happy, has him arrested. But before they can really complete the arrest, the priest escapes. Much emboldened, he leads the guerrillas and the uprising gets bigger and bigger until ultimately Theodore has to leave the planet. And in leaving the planet, his orders were to defeat the insurrection at all costs. So he scoops up his wife, transports her via spaceship off the planet, and apparently blows up the whole daggone planet <laughs> to squelch the uprising, which I suppose will do it. Um, hopefully his people um, are people over more than just one planet. Otherwise, he's responsible for genocide, right? Other than he and his wife, he killed all of his people. So interesting call there. He sets her free in some type of uh, life-preserving mini buoy kind of thing, kind of like uh, Superboy when he's sent off a Krypton, you know, the small little ship, while he takes his ship and steers it into a black hole to ultimately kill himself. Now, the final planet is her ship being captured by a planet's tugboat type ship. And that ship draws them into this planet where they're taken to a section that is very beautiful and parky and full of life and water and light and everything. Now, interestingly, it's a male and a female. And the male looks out a window and says, honey, what is it? And then he says, easy, Marlis, lean on me. It's paradise. And so I am confused as to whether or not this is an older hell pop and his mom, or maybe I, I don't know who these two people are. 
Uh, honestly, there's a there's a break here in the story. He says farewell, and this says very far away. So this is on the planet. Perhaps this is the semi origin of Ilum. Uh, these are two people that found Ilum or something. I don't know, but so these are two other people that have found a mysterious planet. Meanwhile, Dad uh, has killed himself, and Mom is off floating in space somewhere. As far as the parents of Nexus. We're told next issue, the conclusion of Nexus's origin, Treachery on Ilum. And we have a picture here of Tyrone. So he's leading some people. And the final confrontation with Suta, which with everything we've read can't be very extreme. Eh? Uh, Two-page two info spread here of black holes and what they're about. And we have the first set of letters pages. Nothing really cool uh, given out as far as information. There's some very, very cursory Steve Rude sketches. There's sketches from his sketchbook, we're told, that are salted throughout. Two letters jumped to my, uh, to, to my attention right away. One was by Mr. Mike Friedrich of Star Reach Productions. Now, Star Reach is another book that is on my to-cover list from this time period. Star Reach is... Among the first two to three quote-unquote comic books that were produced starting in the 70s. The um, new independent mass market, I believe they originally were in black and white. Um, and actually, Star Reach Productions, I believe his book, Star Reach, is the only book they ever produced. And he produces, I don't know, 20-some issues of it over 10 or 15 years, something like that. But uh, it, it also is on my, I want to cover this book so I should start a podcast list, uh, along with the books we're talking about now. The other letter that jumped out at me is one from Mr. Will Eisner. So um, Friedrich said that he was sent the book and he was so excited to finally receive it and open it. So now I don't know if the people at Capital Comics would have known Will Eisner enough, well enough to send him a book and say, hey, can you read this and give us your thoughts or not? I don't know. But either way, I mean, this is a letter from Will Eisner saying he read your stuff and he kind of dug it. What, what more do you need? You know, is there anyone, well, arguably, I guess, more responsible for the styling uh, that are comic books now than Will Eisner? Yes, yes, I know. Jack Kirby. I hear you back there. That's cool. Will Eisner, you know, I mean, so just wow that Mike Friedrich uh, leading the pack and Will Eisner uh, kind of father or grandfather of the pack, if you will. Sequential art. So yeah, that was just cool. Uh, pin up here of Dave and Giz. More ordering information for Nexus itself, but also a bundle of original art from Steve Rude, 10 by 15 art pieces. And then the final reproduction of the oil painting by Mike Rude, uh, by Steve Rude, um, Nexus firing a, a beam out past us over our heads, kind of, as you look at the cover. Alrighty. That is issue two of Nexus volume one from Capital Comics. Glancing through the noty notes here, I don't really see anything that I didn't mention at the time. Um, issue three is interesting. I don't have the flexi-disc to listen to it. And even if I did, I don't have any sort of uh, turntable to listen to it on. That would be interesting, though, especially now with everything. I wonder if there is a, uh, a digital copy of that online somewhere. I'll have to see if somebody recorded that and posted it online for next episode. So next episode, Nexus 3. Um, it'll be cover dated roughly a quarter, three months after this one. And again, as with the first episode, I apologize. I still am not sure as I record this what, uh, how frequently I'm going to release these. 
I believe, as I said last episode, it will be no closer together than a week apart, no farther apart than once a month. So somewhere between one to four weeks between episodes. Not really sure. I haven't decided, but I will decide. And regardless, that will not interfere with when you have them and are able to listen to them at all. So I know that you are not worried about it. And honestly, neither am I. I will release them and hopefully you will listen to them. Talk to you guys next time out. Ciao.